Good morning, everyone. If you're joining us in the morning, great to have you joining us. Uh, today, I'm going to be speaking a message entitled A New Season, Part 3. And um, I'd encourage you, if you haven't listened to the other two messages in this series, to do so. I really believe that they are quite crucial for us as a church and as a community as we enter this new season um, with God. And uh, before I begin, let's open in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you that you're a God who speaks, that you're a God who knows where we're at, that you're a God who knows how to get us where you desire to take us, that you know how to make us to be at the right place at the right time and on time. We really thank you for this, Lord. We really thank you that you're the one who's prepared works for us to walk in beforehand, that we should walk in them, Lord God. And that you're faithful to prepare us and to move us into these in the right time in accordance with your plan, Lord. And I really pray today that you would speak to our hearts individually, Lord. That you would, Holy Spirit, you would convict us. You would minister to us. You would help us and continue to prepare us for the season that we are entering into. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Yeah, so as I was saying, the first message, uh, please listen to it if you haven't. I looked at, we looked at how um, seasons change. We looked at an example of how a season can change and um, that it's important when there's a suddenly in God or when we're waiting for suddenlies of God that we remember that they're never really suddenlies, that he always prepares people for the suddenly, and when the suddenly happens, um, we need to be uh, ready and willing to look for God in the opportunity to step out in faith. And we looked at a number of aspects around uh, change of season, and then last week we looked at some other aspects of a change of season, and really um, was strengthening and challenging us as a people regarding that. So. Yeah, grab a hold of those two messages, catch up if you didn't, if you didn't um, listen to them. And today I'm looking at a new season part three and really wanting to challenge us regarding some of the things that can be required of us as we enter into a new season. Um, and I particularly want to look at a few examples um, in, the, in the Bible of people who experienced a change of season and some character traits or some things that I see in them that I believe are important for us to go before God with and bring ourselves before him and ask him to reveal to us if we need to change in any of these ways. And the first example that we're going to look at is Joseph. We're looking at an example of Joseph in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and in Joseph, what I'm wanting us to take from his life really um, is in particular forgiveness and walking in forgiveness and purity of heart. And I think this is really important for us as we enter into the new season. Um, and we pick up the account of Joseph, uh, Joseph in Genesis 37. And we see that when he was 17 years old, the Lord gave him a couple of dreams and in, his, in, in one of his dreams, his sheath stood upright and those of his brothers uh, bowed down to his, his sheath. And he dreamt his second dream was that the sun, moon and 11 stars actually bowed down to him. And he told this to his family, told this to his father. And his father actually rebuked him and said, what is this that you've dreamt? You know, shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed bow down to you? Um, uh, and so these, these dreams actually caused his brothers to envy him. And eventually because of this envy and because of the favoritism that his father showed toward him, his brothers sold him into captivity. Um, <clears throat> they sold him to some Midianite um, uh, travelers. And when they arrived in Egypt, these Midianite uh, tradesmen, these travelers, um, they sold him to Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh. And, and it's interesting how um, Joseph went from 
you know, he went to becoming a slave and being sold, uh, you know, to the Midianites, to, to Potiphar. Um, in Genesis 39 verse 2, it, it, it says that the Lord was with Joseph and he was successful in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So Joseph had become a slave, but the Bible says that the Lord was with him and he became successful even in that place as a slave. That's interesting to me because it means that we can feel like we're in prison or we can feel like we're in a tight space, but it doesn't mean that the Lord is not with us. And we see that um, the Lord continued to make all that he did to prosper even in Potiphar's house and and, and Joseph found favor in the sight of his master, so much so that Potiphar actually made him an overseer of this house, of his house. And we, as we read further in the account, you know, we see that Potiphar's wife tried to seduce, seduce Joseph and he ran from her and he was falsely accused by her and thrown in prison, even though he was innocent. Um, so God was with Joseph, but he was sold into slavery. He then was rose up in Potiphar's house, even though he was a slave, the Lord was with him. Then he was falsely accused and thrown into prison. Um, so, and even through all of this, he, 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 he must have come to a place of keeping his heart pure. And, and we'll see this um, as we read later on. But it says in Genesis 39 verse 23, um, from verse 22 to 23, actually, that the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners and gave him authority in the prison because the Lord was with Joseph and made all he did to prosper. So here is Joseph sold by his brothers, his blood brothers, sold into slavery. Then he goes into Potiphar's household, does really well. The Lord was with him, even though he was a slave, falsely accused, thrown in prison. But it says that the Lord was with him and he rose up even in prison and had, had, there was leadership on his life even in prison. And the Lord made all he did to prosper. And this to me is interesting because it shows me a depth of character and a purity of heart in Joseph. Joseph must have kept his heart pure even though all these difficulties and trials were assailing him from every side. Um, trials that he most likely didn't deserve in any form or fashion. And we can learn a lot from him in this regard in terms of keeping our hearts pure and free from resentment. When Joseph had been in, in prison for some time, he ended up interpreting the dreams of a butler and a baker of the king of Egypt. And he interpreted them correctly for them. And in the case of the butler, it actually involved him being restored to his original role and position in the house of, of, the, of, Pharaoh, of Pharaoh. And um, and Joseph asked that the butler, he said, hey, listen, please, when you are restored, you know, please, can you remember me? And we told in Genesis 40 verse 23 that the chief butler forgot about him. And Joseph spent another two years in prison before anything happened for him. So he had, he had a lot of time to grow resentful with a lot of people. Um, but but God had not forgotten him. God did not forget him. The butler forgot him. These other people managed to move on. But God hadn't forgotten gotten him. God knew exactly where he was. And that is the case with us in our lives. God was preparing him for his suddenly. And so all of this process, all of this wilderness or this winter that Joseph was going through was really a preparation for the suddenly that God was going to do, the, the change of season that God was going to bring. And when God decided that the time was right, Pharaoh had two dreams and he couldn't interpret them. And it was really a setup for Joseph. Um, he sent for all the magicians of Egypt who couldn't um, interpret them either. And it was at this point that the butler remembered Joseph in prison. And uh, Joseph was sent for. Um, they changed his clothing, brought him out of the prison. And, and he's asked to interpret the dream. And I love his response because he says to, he says to Pharaoh, listen, I can't interpret your dream, but my God can uh, interpret your dream. He can give me the meaning of it. And, um, and, and that's exactly what happened. 
what, what, what happened. And this is a suddenly in the life of Joseph, but it's not really a suddenly. I think you can see that it took, it was a long time in making when he was 17, maybe he was a bit arrogant, maybe, yeah, of course, you know, my brothers and my mother and father are going to bow down to me. But in the process of God, Joseph was humbled. Joseph learned a lot of a lot of things in that process and God brought him to a point where he was ready for that change of season where he was ready for the suddenly and it was 17 he was 17 when he had those dreams and he was 30 years old before he stood before Pharaoh the king of Egypt to interpret his dreams so this suddenly was actually 13 years in the making and we read concerning Joseph that um well, we read that Pharaoh's dreams were actually about a famine in all the lands and how and, and basically the Lord wanted to ensure that there would be enough food in the famine for all the people of the lands when the famine hit. And so these so Joseph basically helped Pharaoh to understand these dreams, and in the process of doing this, we see that Joseph's dreams were correct because all countries actually came to Joseph in Egypt. Pharaoh made him second in command so he could administer all the distribution of food in the famine, the storage of the food, and then the distribution when the famine hit. And, and we see all of these people coming to Joseph in Egypt to, to buy grain when the famine hit. And of course, this included Joseph's brothers uh, who were Jacob's sons. So these came to him and they didn't recognize him. They bowed down to him. So Joseph's dreams were correct. Um, and when, he, when Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized immediately who they were, even though they didn't recognize him. And Joseph goes along and he, if you read the account for yourself in Genesis, he continues to mask his identity from them. And then at a certain point, he can't contain himself anymore and he reveals his identity to his brothers. And this is where I actually want to pick up reading the scriptures. And we pick it up in Genesis 45. Um, verse 3, and Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph, does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Wow, isn't that amazing? The overflow of his heart and what he shares reveals how Joseph had processed the 13 years of preparation for the suddenly. It reveals to me how Joseph had processed the 13 years of false accusation, of imprisonment, of being wrongfully sold into slavery, the... the, the um, the abandonment and the rejection from his own family, from his own brothers, and the um, betrayal from his own family members. It reveals to me that he's moved beyond unforgiveness. He's moved beyond bitterness. He's moved beyond betrayal. He's moved beyond hurt. And he sees it from God's perspective. He sees it from God's eternal purpose. Joseph hadn't carried any of these things into um, his seat as the second in command and and he, he had a purity of heart and I think this would have been crucial for him as he entered into his new role of second in command because you see unforgiveness bitterness resentment these things form a snare uh, to us and and hinder us walking in the fullness of what God has for us they form a snare to trip us up in fulfilling the fullness of God's purposes and, um, and so this is something that I'm wanting us to glean from, from Joseph. You see, the very people, sometimes, sometimes the very people God wants to use us to minister to or to help are the very people who've wounded us. And in order for God to use us in his grand design, we need to walk free from unforgiveness, from bitterness and resentment. We have to walk free from this. We have to be in a place of freedom. From, from bitterness, from un we have to move on. I love what Hebrews 12 verse 1 to 2 says, strong instruction. 
Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Therefore, let us lay aside every weight, every unforgiveness, every betrayal, every wounding, every hurt, and the sin which so easily ensnares us and run with endurance, the race set before us. You see, these weights, this sin, these things we hold on to become the very things which hinder us from running into the purposes that God has for us and from fulfilling um, the fullness of what he has for us. Hebrews 12 verse 14 to 15, it says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. And so as we go into this new season, as you go into a new season, I'm wanting to challenge you and I'm wanting to challenge me. I'm wanting to challenge us. If there are people that have wronged us, we need to forgive. I remember last week I spoke about the nation, that that, that word was a word for South Africa. It's a word for the nation. South Africa needs to learn how to position herself for her promised land. The same mentality that that worked for the wilderness will not work in the promised land. And it's the same here. If there are people that have wronged us, if there are people we need to forgive, we need to release forgiveness because these things hinder us from entering into the fullness of what there is in the promised land. South Africa, we have to learn to forgive and move on. We have to learn to, to release resentment uh, to those who've wronged us. Otherwise, we cannot enter into everything that God has for us. And this doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter which family you, 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 you're from. It doesn't matter which side of the railway tracks you grew up on. Forg- unforgiveness, resentment, bitterness. It, it's, it's a problem that everyone has to get over and get around and learn to deal with, you know. Um, if we're holding on to resentment regarding something that happened to us, we need to let it go as we step into a new season. If we've been falsely accused or wronged in some way and have held on to it, we've got to release it. We've got to release it. If there's someone that owes us something still after many, many years, and we know that they're probably never likely to pay it back, guess what? Just release it. Just release it and move on for your own health, for your own benefit. And you know, I just want to challenge us today. Maybe it's time to release somebody. Maybe it's time to release an institution. Maybe it's time to release a whole country. Maybe it's time to release an organization, a family member. Maybe it's time to release a boss. Maybe it's time to release a parent or a child or a spouse. But it's time to release. Maybe it's time to release a government or a leader a church leader even, but we gotta, we got to step into forgiveness and be bigger than the things that have been done to us because these things will only become hindrances and weights and eventually judgments against us as we enter into a new season. And I say judgments against us because when we judge, by the same measure we judge, we are judged. Because when we refuse to release forgiveness, we do not receive forgiveness ourselves from the Lord. And the Bible is clear on this. And so it's important that we move into the new season with purity of heart. If Joseph, if Joseph had had bitterness of, of, and unforgiveness toward his brothers, maybe he wouldn't have given them food. Maybe he wouldn't have given them food to take to his father. And him feeding them was part of the purpose of God putting him in that position. And so it's really important um, as we go into this new season that we do so with, with purity of heart and with forgiveness. The second thing that I'm wanting to uh, encourage us regarding is the need for humility. The need for humility. And, um, and I think this is important. And the example that I'm wanting to look at is John the Baptist. Um, Luke 3 verse verse 1 to 15, and I'm just going to pick a few verses as we go through that. Um, From verse 2, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, uh, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. 
And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So God spoke to John in the wilderness, verse 10. Now he's moved out and he's now preaching to the people. It says, so the people asked him, saying, so this is many people coming around him, asking him, what shall we do then? Verse 11, he answers and says to them, do this, do this. Verse 12, the tax collectors come to him to be baptized and say to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he says to them, collect more, no more than what is appointed for you. Verse 14, the soldiers come to him asking him, and what shall we do? And he says to them, do not intimidate anyone, etc. And he gives them instructions. Verse 15, now as the people were in expectation, so they're looking at him, they're receiving from him, they're asking him questions. You know, he has a platform and he has a, he, he's able to speak into these multitudes of people and they're looking up to him. And it says, verse 15, as they were in expectation, all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. Wow. So John the Baptist, the word of the Lord came to him in the wilderness. He, he came out preaching and, and teaching the people. The people received him. They were flocking to him. They were asking him questions. What shall we do? What shall we do? Now the people are even reasoning, is this guy the Christ or not? Um, and uh, in Luke 16, verse 22, John, John speaks to him and he says, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then verse 21, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. So John baptized Jesus. And while he prayed, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon Jesus. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And what I love about John, what I love about this portion of the account of John is, yes, he's there and all these people are looking up to him and they admire him and he has platform and he has fame and all of these things. And they're thinking, wow, is he the Christ? And John has the humility to say to them, I'm not the Christ. He says, I baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And John didn't only say that. <coughs> he didn't only say that to the people. But then he made a way for Jesus because he actually baptized. Not that Jesus needed to be baptized by him, although Jesus said, you know, to fulfill all righteousness. Um, but John actually did it. He did it. And, and I just love this about John, you know, and I want to challenge us today. Do we see our purpose in the light of God's bigger purpose? Or do we have tunnel vision around our own purpose, my gifting, my calling, what I'm called to do? And it's like, we've got this uh, cutthroat mentality in the church where it's about my calling, my purpose, my giftings, or, or even my church. And to the, even if it's to the detriment of everyone around me, and we're not willing to make a way for anyone else. We're not willing to say or to point out that someone else's gifting is actually greater than ours in a particular area. Or we're not willing to let someone stand on our shoulders and go further than we are. You know, I want to challenge us today about this because people think about entering into a new season and entering into greater dimensions and entering into a promised land as being something where... We enter into something that's really big and really grand with platform or fame or wealth or prosperity or whatever it is. Like it's big for me. It's big for us. That is what, how people tend to envision this. If it's a church, it's big. You know, it's a platform ministry. It's like loud. It's got, you know, multiple, many followers. If it's, if it's a business, it's this. I mean, you know what it's like for you, you know, your dreams. And I, I just want to challenge us. Do we see our purpose in the light of God's bigger purpose? Do we see our purpose in the light of what God is doing in the world and in the kingdom? And are we willing to step aside if God says, hey, <clears throat> can you step aside, please? There's one greater than you, and I'm wanting you to make a way for that person. Are we willing to do that? You know, or do we have tunnel vision where we actually taking principles in the, in the world and fleshly principles of, of, of comp unhealthy competition and applying it? to the body of Christ. 
And I want to challenge us today. Is it about God's kingdom and what he's building? Or is it about our kingdom? Do you always have to be the number one, even if it's in a small pond? You can't be the support in a big pond because you want to be the number one. Do you seek your own elevation, your own promotion, your own fame, your own influence, or Jesus's? You know, in our heart, in your heart, do you serve Jesus for what you can get out of him? Like the multitudes. Remember in the first message in the series, I spoke about the multitudes and how they sought Jesus for what they could get out of Jesus. And Jesus didn't send the multitudes on his, on his purpose. He sent them away. He sent his disciples on his purpose, with his purpose. So do we come to Jesus just because of what we can get out of him? Or do we come to Jesus because we want to serve him? Because we want to serve his purpose? Because we love him? Because we want to build his kingdom and his name and his fame and his glory more than our own? Are we willing to decrease for him to achieve his purposes? That takes humility. That takes humility. Are you willing to step aside for someone else whom God is raising up? Are you willing to create a platform for others? I'm willing to challenge us with this today. I think as we go into a promised land, something for us to bear in mind. You know, Joshua had humility. He fought and he served not only for his own little piece of or big piece of land. He was fighting for his brother's land. Some, some of that land that he had to fight for, he didn't, he, he didn't own at the end of the day. You know, we fight for other people's victories and breakthroughs. That's part of kingdom thinking. That's part of humility. That's part of us realizing and knowing that, you know what? God's purposes and God's kingdom don't actually revolve around me. I'm not the center of God's world. God is. I'm a piece of his puzzle. And I would love him to use me. And he might use me in such a way that I don't feel like I'm the center of his purpose. And that's okay because I'm not. Amen. Humility. So important for us. The third characteristic that I'm wanting to challenge us regarding is regarding total devotion to God, to his purposes and to his will. So important as we enter into promised land. So important as we as a church go into a place of, of, you know, taking the land, taking hold of what God has been promising us and what he's given us. We're going to need to rally together. It's going to require total devotion from, from, from all of us in order to, to take this and to fulfill everything that God has for us. Total devotion to his purpose and his will. And even in our personal lives, this is, this is so important. And the example that I'm wanting to look at is Saul. Or Paul, he became Paul. And this is, he's such a good example of total devotion, of total, of total commitment to something. And um, I'm going to start, we're going to pick up the, the context um, of Saul. We're going to pick up the account of Stephen in Acts 6. And we read how Stephen was so full of faith and of power. And he performed great wonders and signs among the people. And there were some Cyrenians, some Alexandrians and others who couldn't resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. And so they stirred up people against him. They stirred up elders and scribes um, against him as well. And Stephen was brought before the council. Now, Saul would have been part of these who were, who were aware of what was happening with Stephen. He, was a, he would have been aware of this. And Stephen addressed the council and these men were so cut to the heart that they actually stoned Stephen, that Stephen became a martyr. And Saul was aware of this. In Acts 7 verse 59 to 60 we read, They stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he said this, he fell asleep Wow, what an example of purity of heart and not holding on to unforgiveness. And then we read in Acts 8 verse 1 to 3, it says, And Saul approved of his execution. Saul knew exactly what was going on. Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great great lamentation over him but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison 
So Saul was vehemently against the church. He was zealous in his persecution of the church, so much so that he was he fully approved of the martyrdom of Stephen. So this is how devoted and committed Saul was in terms of persecuting the church. And in Acts 9, verse 1 to 6, it's, uh, we read that Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, in other words, any Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Rise and enter the city and you'll be told what to do. Isn't that interesting? So Saul was, he got letters from the high priest in the, uh, to the synagogues at Damascus that he could continue persecuting Christians there and bring them back from Damascus to Jerusalem bound. So that's why Saul was going to Damascus. And on the way to Damascus, he has a suddenly, with, when the Lord grabs a hold of his life and grabs a hold of him. And verse 10, we read, There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, go down to the street called Straits and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So even Ananias had heard about Saul and how zealous he was um, and in his, in his um, actions toward Christians. So Ananias was reticent to go. Um, but the Lord said to him, go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine. Um, to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And so Ananias goes there and, um, yeah, he prays for Saul, and Saul receives his sight and receives the Holy Spirit and, um, and is baptized. Um, and it says in verse 19, Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately, I love this guy, it's like, Immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And he has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, I just love this. Saul or Paul who became Paul was so passionate and so zealous and so in 100% uh, in terms of what he was doing. He was all in. When he was in something, he was all in. You know, He has an encounter with God on the road to Damascus, 180 degree turnaround. Then he's all in. And it says that immediately he was preaching. And the people there were like, isn't this the guy who came to arrest Christians and now he's preaching Christ you know what if there was they were like you know who what, what's happened who's this guy isn't he here to, to take us away you know but I love this passion and this zeal that he had and this was what God wanted him to carry through into his new season and use for Jesus after his encounter with God there could be no fear of man no fear of his previous contemporaries no pursuit of fame and honor from his previous position and titles. There could be no fear of, of, of Christians whom he persecuted. There could be no need for the approval of man because if you think about it, he wouldn't get approval from his previous contemporaries and he most certainly wasn't going to get a whole lot of approval at least immediately from those people that he started preaching to. And I love that just, that just, just being so straightened towards God and so desirous of God's approval. He's not seeking the approval of man. He's not bent towards man. Whatever he's doing, he's doing it 100%. When he had a life-changing experience with the Lord, his life changed. 
you know, and I wish we saw that more in the church. I think often we see people have a life-changing encounter with God's salvation and they receive Jesus as their savior, but they don't actually walk as G with Jesus as their Lord. There's no repentance. There's no 180-degree turnaround, total commitment. It becomes more like a half-half commitment, you know, and which is no commitment at all. I love this complete turnaround and the, zealous, the zeal that he carried prior to his encounter with God is the same zeal that he carries through um, when he starts preaching Christ. And um, in, in Philippians 3, verse 3, uh, uh, Philippians 3, this is verse 3 to 11, we read, we read this. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. This is Paul writing and he says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ and so forth. He continues. So powerful. I think very often in the church, we count other things as gain to us. We hold on to other things because we don't, we're not all in with God. We're not all in with the word. And I just want to challenge us that at this point, at this juncture, when we're going into a new season, let's, let's decide, let's covenant with God that we are all in. What his word says, his word says, we believe it. We believe it a hundred percent. If his word says that we shouldn't be unequally yoked with unbelievers and we are in a relationship with someone who is not a believer, not a Christian. And I'm talking about a couple that is not married. Then what are you doing? Because God is clear in his word that, that let's be all in. Let's live right. If his word says that sexual immorality, fornication, adultery, that these things should not even be named among us as his church then live like that, you know? If, if we considering other things, amassing other things because we feel like we can't fully trust God, let's go in 100%. Let's, let's sow that thing that we're holding on to because this is how, this is, this is we're holding on to our confidences in, in this. Sow it. Let it not have you, you know? Rather have something, don't let it have you. Amen. Count all other things that have us as lost. Let's rather be had by Christ and Christ alone. If we really are serious about living for God and embracing everything he has for us, this truly must be our heart's cry. Nothing less than Christ will suffice. Nothing less than Christ will do. Nothing less than his presence, his now word, what he is speaking, where he is leading us, nothing less will do and all of it, not a part of it, but all of it, you know, what, and, and another thing I'm wanting to ask us regarding just looking at Paul's, Paul's life and, and, and Paul, how he was is what has the Lord given us? What has the Lord given you in terms of character traits, in terms of passions, in terms of gifts, in terms of desires that he might want to use in this next season, use in this next season of the church and where we're going as a church Maybe there's a spot that is for you that only you can fill. As we go into this new season as a nation, maybe there's something that you have that the nation actually, actually needs. Another question I'm wanting to ask is, are there some counterfeit comforts or counterfeit desire fillers that have we've been using or leaning on? Now, these might be as simple as food or alcohol or some type of addiction that we use to fill a void or a spiritual hunger. But, but these things end up being things that trip us up because we need to be 
We need to count all these other things as rubbish before God. We need to pursue Christ. Christ needs to fulfill all of these needs. He needs to be our all in all, right? We can't use our natural gifts. We can't use our wealth. We can't use our likable personality, our friends. We can't use other things to fill voids in us that only Christ can fill. As we step into a new season and let's let's grow up a bit. Let's be more mature. Let's let's. Um, be like Paul who was all in 100% hook, line and sinker, everything and it's the whole word and we're pursuing it with passion, all of it with all of ourselves, with all of our gifts available for God to use and the last thing I'm wanting to challenge us regarding is um, regarding leadership and stepping up leadership and stepping up and for this example I'm wanting to Look a little bit at Deborah. Deborah. Now, I think this example, it applies for us as a church, but it also applies for us as a nation right now. At this point where we, we, we've stepped into a promised land, but there needs to be certain changes, certain, certain shifts in, in people's hearts and minds, certain mentalities needing to change. And, and this is one of them. You know, so we read in Judges 5 verse 7 in the NIV, it said, it says, villages in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose, a mother in Israel. In the New King James Version, it, say, it says, village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, arose, a mother in Israel. Very interesting very interesting. If you read in commentaries around uh, this particular verse and the context uh, within which we find Deborah and Deborah arising, um, you discover that because of Israel's idolatry, the Lord had allowed the nation to fall into desolation. And there were so many challenges that the nation was facing. And I'm going to run through a few of them quickly. The first thing was that there was no trade there were no soldiers to protect businessmen from the incursions of the enemy. There were no magistrates to restrain and punish thieves and robbers who had taken to plundering and robbing. And so consequently, all commerce had ceased and highways were unoccupied. Merchants just couldn't travel um, on the highways due to the dangers. And so, so literally trade had ceased. The second thing is that there was no traveling, there was no order, there was no government, and travelers simply were not safe on open roads. They were forced to use the byways and um, to hide as they were traveling to avoid robbers and thieves and to avoid being um, having their, their goods plundered and um, stolen. The third thing was that there was no tillage in the fields. The fields lay fallow they lay, and they lay way at waste and unattended to. Um, and basically the inhabitants, inhabitants of the outlying villages and the country farmers had ceased from working the fields and they'd left, the house, uh, left their houses, their homes and these vulnerable areas because of the frequent raids by bandits. And they took shelter in um, walled and fenced cities. They took shelter for themselves and their families. So there was no tillage. There was uh, no growth of crops. Um, there was, food was not being produced. There was no administration of justice. Uh, because there was war in the gates, uh, the courts were in the gates, um, uh, that's where the courts were kept, and the continual incursions of the enemy, it deprived the magistrates of, of the dignity of their role, and it, it deprived the people of the benefit of the government of these magistrates, the enemy was just running, running, running rife, um, there was no peace uh, for the people, the gates through which they passed, um, as, I, as I mentioned, were infested by enemy and the places where they went to draw water were guarded by enemy archers. So life was difficult. Life was really difficult. And to top that all off, the people didn't have weapons to fight nor defend themselves. And we see that in Judges 5 verse 8. So either they'd been disarmed by their oppressors or they themselves had neglected the art of war. Um, so that although they had spears and shields, they were not seen and they weren't maybe they did not they did not use them they were thrown by they suffered rust they, uh, they didn't have the skill to make use of them or for whatever reason it was 
they, they weren't fighting, they weren't defending themselves. And this was the tragic picture of the nation until one woman, one woman arose in obedience to a call by God. And I think if we look at our nation today, we can draw so many similarities. Many of us can see the gaps. Many of us can see the cracks and the leakages. And I'm sure many in Deborah's day could also see the gaps, cracks and leakages. But someone actually had to rise up and do something about it. And, and I think that's the same today. I think as a people, when we see gaps, cracks and leakages, we can't just jump ship if God hasn't called us to jump ship. You know, if God has called us to, to immigrate, fantastic, that's awesome. But not everybody has that luxury. Some, some people have to arise and, and, and help and do and rebuild. Um, and we see that in, in Deborah's case, she made an incredible difference, you know. I, I, yeah, we, could, we see that she made an incredible difference. Um, I love what it says in Psalm 110 verse 3. It says, Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. In the NKJV it says, Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of of your power so powerful so powerful and this is what this is what the church needs as we go into a new season this is what the nation needs as we go into a new season we spoke last week about how in the in the wilderness you know you fed with manna everything is given to you in the promised land you actually have to work there needs to be a shift of mentality we have to do something in the promised land we can't just sit back and fold our arms and receive to re and expect to receive everything on a platter and it's the case today in our nation maybe maybe there's a gap that you actually can rise up and fill maybe village life will cease until tracy arose until Deborah arose until Tsor arose, until Sean arose, Sunni arose, until, you know, someone, teacher Emma arose, until Gracious arose, until these people arise. You know, village life ceased until this had ceased, until someone arose. And often it just takes one person in a leadership role who will lead people to make a difference. And so I'm wanting to challenge us today. In what areas of the church do you see a gap? Um, that you can step up and fill. Maybe there's something that's not happening in a gap that you can see that you can step up and fill. You have the passion and you can be, you can get the training. Or maybe you have the skill and the passion and you just need to step up and fulfill it. Fantastic. Come speak to us. You know, what areas in society do you feel God nudging you to step up and step out in and make a difference? So important um, to think about this. Such an important um, um character tray to have that that willingness to step up and say and be counted step up and say I'll do it step up and say I'll lead I'll step up I'll make a difference I'll stand in the gap I'll do you know so important we need more people like that more church builders like that more nation builders like that so in conclusion today I'm wanting to encourage us that a new season is going to require forgiveness and purity of heart and we looked at Joseph. And as I close this message, I'm wanting to ask us these few questions just to remind us to go, just to remind us to go before God. Are there people that have wronged you? Are there people that you need to forgive? Have you been holding on to resentment regarding something that happened to you? Were you falsely accused or wronged in some way and have held on to it and know that you need to release it? Is there someone that owes you something still and you know they're not likely to pay it back? Just release it today. Maybe it's time to release these people, these institutions, countries, organizations, whatever it may be. I think it's time to do that today because these things only become hindrances as we enter a new season. The second thing I'm wanting to, rem to remind in conclusion is we need humility like John the Baptist we need to see our purpose in the light of God's bigger purpose. We need to shake off that tunnel vision that we can sometimes get. We need to remember that it's about God's kingdom and what he's building, not our kingdom, not my kingdom and my name and my fame. It's not about my elevation, my promotion, my influence, my prosperity. 
It's actually about Jesus and what he's wanting to do in us and through us and with us. Amen. The third thing I'm challenging us today regarding is total devotion toward God, to his purposes and to his will. And I'm wanting to ask you, are there any counterfeit comforts, any counterfeit desire fillers that you, you've been using to, to, to help yourself? And I'm wanting to ask you, are there any character traits, passions, gifts, desires that maybe God wants to get you to use in the next season? Maybe it's a, co a compromise that you actually need to let go of. Maybe it's a group of friends that you actually need to walk away from. Maybe it's some, some um, environment that's influencing you negatively that you actually need to make a 180 degree turn from like, like, like Saul of Tarsus did. Today's the time. Today is the, today is the moment. Let's, let's do it now as before we enter into a new season. And lastly, I'm wanting to challenge us that if we look around us in the church and the nation and we see gaps, we see there's no trade, there's no tillage, there's no productivity, there's no administration of this, that or the other, there's, there's lack of this, there's not that, or the people aren't doing this, or there should be this. You know, what areas do you see a gap in the church that you know that you can step up and fill? What areas in society do you see a gap in that you feel God nudging you to step to step up and step out and I'm wanting to leave you with these questions and, and ask that you go before God and you prayerfully consider these things that I've touched on today that when we can that when we go into the new season that God has for us, we go in free from these hindrances, we go in with humility, we go in with um, a, a desire to step up, we go in um, ready for everything that God has for us. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord God, that it would minister to your people, that it would speak to our hearts, that it would be that sword, that word that divides between, Lord God, that cuts deep, that opens up, that does surgery, Lord God, that brings us into a place of greater freedom, greater healing, greater life, Lord God. I pray that you would use it, Father, to make your church stronger to bring unity amongst us and to take us to a new level and a new level of maturity together as we go into new land and, and desire to possess this new land that you're giving us, Father. So thank you that your word will accomplish that which it's sent for. Bless your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.